0: All right, you guys can be seated. Kids, you can head on back to the back. Third through fifth graders, you're hanging out with us. All right, Luke chapter 8 is where we are this morning. Luke chapter 8, continuing our series, Jesus for Everyone. We're in a bit of a transition spot here in Luke's uh, storytelling as he's working through some stuff for us, and we'll be kind of focusing on a—I don't know if fully a a new part, but kind of a hodgepodge of things over the course of the next couple of chapters uh, that Luke covers. It's this kind of a kind of a dump it all in the in the bucket type of thing. Here, he's going to talk about a lot of different things with. Jesus's uh, ministry. Uh, If you remember, Luke doesn't necessarily write in chronological order. He kind of pulls things uh, based on themes sometimes, sometimes based on uh, kind of uh, the the type of ministry that is happening at the time. Uh, What we've been looking at over the course uh, really since about chapter five, since Jesus launched his ministry, has been miracles and healings and uh and that type of uh that type of thing so uh so that that's prim- primarily what we've seen and now we're getting ready to to switch and so so much of what we've been focused on is where every week we're talking about uh, a new miracle a new healing to the point that last week we we saw Jesus bring someone back from the dead and we were kind of like yeah, ho hum. Just another day with Jesus. Just another thing that Jesus does, because that has been such a theme of what Luke is uh, teaching. And now we're going to shift, and we're going to see Jesus uh, in, in a little bit of a different way. Uh, today we're going to see him a little bit as a uh, as a teacher, and he's going to kind of set some things up as he teaches, and then prepares to send out his. Uh, his d- disciples, um, and we 're going to discuss a little bit this morning about the way that Jesus teaches the things that he says the things that uh, the things that he does. People like to tell me. And by people, I mean um, my wife. I, that they like it whenever I, I I use stories in my sermons. Right? Whenever I use stories, and then people say, you know, if you use stories, I can actually remember what you have to say. And the the, the problem is the kind of uh, catch twenty two for the preacher is is the the sermon then becomes about the story, not about the text. So often, and so. You kind of have a sermon that people remember as, oh yeah, yeah the sermon that you, you know, took the bike ride through Central Park, but they have no idea what the text was. Uh, and the idea of using the story is to illustrate the text, but sometimes the story becomes the star of the show, and that's not ideally what happens, and so the preacher is in a bit of a, of a, of a pickle. And parables are supposed to function that way, kind of, but they're not really like, like, like illustrations in a sermon. Uh, they are a little bit different. They work a little bit uh, differently they will uh, th- These parables will use certain scenes and certain people and certain objects to represent things and so they are an allegory where they will they will kind of say, "Hey, this is this and this is this, and here 's what you need to know, and here 's what you need to uh, learn And so if we're not careful, then what we can do is we, we, we get to it where we say uh, that this is the parable of the sower, which is what we're going to look at this morning. That will be our text this morning. Uh, or the parable, parable of the prodigal son. And, and what we remember is the illustration or the picture, but we don't remember the actual lesson that Jesus has for us, the point of the story. Uh, but I'm getting a bit ahead of myself here. So before I before I keep on going, uh, I, wanna, I, I want to kind of back up just a little bit and look at the beginning of Luke chapter 8. And uh, before we get to Jesus talking in parables, Luke gives us a small note right at the beginning of uh, of the, the, the book of Luke. He, he gives us a, a, a small note, and I considered making an entire sermon out of this note. I talked to Jordan about it a few times over the last... A uh, few weeks because I wasn't quite sure what to do with this because it's really just a bit of a of a historical note. It's really just a bit of a like like little add on that Luke gives us. It's not really enough for a full sermon. Um, so he, here's what I'm going to tell you: I, We're going to talk about it this morning, but very quickly, and then this will come back up again later on in the book of Luke, and we'll come back to this. Uh, this text. And if you'll remember last week, we ended with uh, the story of the sinful woman or the woman of the city that wept at Jesus's feet, that, that washed his feet whenever he was at the home of Simon the Pharisee, who neglected to uh, wash Jesus's feet, neglected to uh, to care for Jesus the way that he should have. And we don't know what happened to that woman after that story. She's nowhere else mentioned in uh, scripture. We don't know her name. Uh, we don't know if she begins following Jesus. We his disciples or if she goes back home we're not we're not sure but Luke goes out of his way at the beginning of chapter 8 to show that uh, that she wasn't the only woman that was part of this crew of disciples that were following Jesus around so Luke chapter 8 verse 1 soon afterward he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God and the 12 were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, whom, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, and Herod's, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means." I find it fascinating that Luke does this. It it serves as a bit of an aside and transition in Luke's storytelling to this point. Uh, But he did the same thing, if you'll remember, back at the beginning of chapter 5. If you go back and look there, uh, he listed the the apostles, the the 12 uh, apostles. He lists them and and kind of uh, tells us a little bit about them. And we spent a whole morning looking at those disciples, those men, and what their lives meant for us. And now he does the same thing for the Women that are following Jesus, and it is similar, similarly at a new section. Kind of marks a a new section of Luke's gospel. Whenever he he does this, uh, and and uh, so it's, it's interesting how he does this. So, like I said, we'll talk more about this. But if you pay attention, that all throughout Luke's gospel, what you get is the story of a man and what he does. And then that is mirrored by the story of a woman and what she does. You have kind of the, 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 the male uh, action, and then you have the counter of the female action. And Sometimes it's, it's reversed, but you have those two things mirrored in, to the point that, that it can't be an accident that Luke does this, that he is intentionally trying to do this. So think back to the, the Christmas story, right? You have Zechariah who's visited by an angel uh, and here's the angel's story, and then later uh, w- about having a child, and then later he will he will have, it'll be Zechariah's Benedictus, his 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 poem, his song, uh, in response to the birth of his son. And then right after that, you have Mary being visited by an angel, being told about the birth of a, the miraculous birth of a son, and you have uh, you have um, Mary's prayer and song that comes right with that. The two kind of uh, are, are right there together. Uh, next to each other, they mirror each other, and so you have in chapter five the apostles that are being listed, the men that are being listed, and then you have here in chapter eight the women that are being listed, and this happens all throughout Luke's gospel where he has to be making the point that 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 women are right there with the men in the ministry and what they are uh, what they are, are are doing, and so I think it's pretty cool that that they show all these two things going together. Um, and, and how they, they work together. And as I said, we'll talk more about that, but for now, let this serve as something as a placeholder for the role that women are playing in the active ministry of Jesus, and something for you to just keep an eye on as we keep going through this uh, book. We talked about that at Christmas, but this is something of a reminder. Just remember that women are central in the ministry of Jesus. In fact, because uh, many of the, the 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 because women were powerless at the time, but the way that that it worked is like so many of the men that followed Jesus. What we talked about is that they were power, they didn't have power; they didn't have access to power. Uh, they were fishermen; they were common men. The women were inherently uh, uh, powerless in this society. But what that meant is that you had women that had access to power, that had proximity to power. And so they talk about being a manager of Herod's household and those type of things. And so often the women would have access to things that even the men following Jesus didn't have access to. Because of their proximity to power, they were basically overlooked and neglected. And so what happens, what it says here, is that these women basically bankrolled the the mission of Jesus that they basically provided for the disciples and for Jesus in his ministry out of their means because they had access to money that, that the disciples, uh, especially since they had walked away from their jobs and their uh, their livelihoods, basically had no access to. And so it's pretty fascinating for me to be able to see the role that women are, are, are playing here. And any theology that that relegates women to kind of this... Subservient, diminutive, kind of there, there, like pat em on the heads type of role is not, it, that is not a theology that you will find in the pages of scripture. It's just not it 's just not not there. women are front and center right here in Chapter Eight and all throughout luke 's Gospel, and they should be front and center in the church today and active in the ministry of the church today we 've talked about this a lot back in the fall, and it 's something that will will continue to come up, especially if you followed any of the news in the SBC over the course of the last uh, the last couple of weeks like We have to make sure that that we continue to work and to to, to make sure that that the ministry of the church looks like what is going on here in chapter 8. So that is like an aside to to something we will come back and address in a much more full-throated way uh, here in, in I, and it's probably gonna be more than a few weeks, but we'll come back before we are done with Luke's gospel to talk uh, about this. Um, and so, but for now, for this morning, for time's sake, we need to move on uh, just a little bit. And so, as I said, we're, in, we're entering into this kind of ex- extended portion of Luke's gospel where he kind of bounces all over, and it feels like it's just kind of a, let's throw it all in this bucket and tell you about a bunch of different stuff that happened with Jesus and his uh, disciples. There's some healings, there's some miracles, there's some family stuff about Jesus. Uh, later on we're going to see about how uh, how he sends out his disciples and, and, and what that looks like whenever the disciples get sent out. Um, and, and eventually we're going to get, when we get to uh, chapter 14-15, we're going to get a huge section of parables. A huge section just of Jesus's uh, teaching but this morning, we get kind of one parable out of place, all by itself. Just one parable that's there. It doesn't lead to more parables. It's just one little story that's in there about Jesus' uh, teaching. You, you would think this would make a lot of sense for this to be at the beginning of a section of, of a bunch of parables, but that's not how Luke does it. So let's read what it is and, and what happens here, because this parable is all about how, how it talks, teaches us all about how parables work. So let's read this, and then let's see if we can't figure out a little bit about why Luke put this in where he put it in. So Luke chapter 8, verse 4. And then a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him. And he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell among the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear." Now the parable itself ends right there. That's the, that's the entirety of uh, the parable. It's not the end of our passage this morning, but that's the entirety of the, the parable. And I always think it's funny whenever preachers preach this message, when they preach this passage, this, this parable, I always think it's funny whenever, whenever they, they, the, the preacher stops right there and doesn't keep going. Because here's the thing. As a, a preacher, I can't tell you the number of times that I've thought, you know, if Jesus just could, could be just right here, And tell me what in the world this means. If he could just be here and explain this to me and help me understand what he is trying to say here, that would be super helpful because I'm really confused as to what the point is. I'm really confused as to what I should be focused on. I would love it if Jesus would hear. That would be a great resource as a preacher to have something like that. And while we don't have that for all of the Bible, we do have it for this text. And so I always find it fascinating whenever you have Jesus explaining exactly what this parable means, that that, that preachers will go and give like a whole sermon about what this parable means and never use Jesus' own explanation. So here's what we're going to do. Instead of me telling you what Jesus probably meant, I'm going to let Jesus tell you exactly what he meant. All right? So verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, Of testing they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way of life, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And for that and and as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. So there you have it. Amen. We're done. Sermon over. Jesus has now explained to you the parable, and we can all go eat lunch, right? You're not going to get off that easy. There's more that we're going to have to say, because even in Jesus' answer, it brings up some other questions for us. Like, what, what do you mean by, by this, Jesus, in, in his answer? So we're going to have to work through some things. So first, let, let's just ask the question, why is the parable even here? Why does Luke give it to us right here? If he's not interested in writing in chronological order, why doesn't he just put this at the beginning of a long section of parables? After all, Jesus is explaining a parable and then showing the purpose of the parables. How, for some, it is to explain, for others, it is to obscure the meaning of the kingdom of God, which that messes with our heads too. Like, what do you mean? I thought all this was to make things easier to see. Are you telling me that some of the parables actually make things harder to understand? And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. So we gotta, we got to figure this stuff out. And I think the reason that Jesus is trying to do this is because he's trying, to, he's trying to prepare and explain to the disciples what they are witnessing and what they are about to experience. He's trying to help them see what they are a part of. Uh, he's giving them categories for what's going on uh, around them. I, I wonder, how many of you guys ha- have ever, like, had a movie that you loved? I mean, like, you just loved the movie. Like, borderline, or maybe, maybe completely, like, changed your life whenever you saw the movie. Like, you had this thing, it is the best for you, and then you recommend it to someone else. You say, hey, you should see this because this thing is amazing. It did this for me and it did that for me. You, you, you've got to see this movie. When I was younger, I would always do that with so much excitement and gusto, sure that this life-changing moment would be met by my friends as they watched the movie and then they too would have this life-changing moment and then our lives together would be affected by this movie and we would bond over this movie and all would be, uh, all would be great. I found that that's not really how that works most of the time. Uh, I, I remember in high school... Emily and I were were dating, and we're looking for date night ideas. And we would talk about movies that we love the most, and we would uh, we would we would one by one kind of watch them together. My suggestions were movies like like Chariots of Fire, The Natural, Field of Dreams, Rudy. You see a theme in these movies. These are all sports movies. These were the movies that 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 meant something to me. Uh, and and I, I remember. I, honestly, I can't remember a whole lot of what her suggestions were, which maybe says more about me than anything. Um, or maybe it says something about her suggestions. I don't know. I remember one movie that she was super excited about for us to watch. So we would watch these on our, on our date nights. I remember one movie she was super excited for us to watch, which is Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. Do you guys know that movie? Yeah? No? Nobody knows that movie? All right, there's a few people. Does anybody like that movie? All right, so there's a few of you like liked that movie. All right, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I remember nothing about this movie except for uh, the high-diving horse. Uh, this is all, that's not a great picture. It's really dark. But th- that's a horse jumping into a pool, in case you can't tell what that is. Uh, and it's from way up high. I, I don't even remember how that happened. I don't remember anything about the story other than this is what happened. And I remember whenever the movie was over, I was like, okay. So that's one of your movies. Like that's fine, um, and and uh, like I, I don't know if she said that that was a life changing movie for her, but that was one of her favorite movies. Uh, and I just remember that it didn't really connect with me quite the same way that it did with with her. But I also remember like like uh, other things that that we that we would do like like movies. I would suggest and we would watch those. And uh, like I remember watching watching Rudy, and we would watch R- Rudy together, and like. I'm over here like, 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 what did you think about that movie? Did you love that movie? Was it as amazing for you to watch that movie? Is it? I'm like crying, like, like tears running down my, my face, like snotting everywhere uh, multiple different times. And I'm like, so was that amazing? And like the response that typically comes back when we watch these movies was, well, I could see why you'd like it. <laughs> to which I never could figure out if that was a compliment or an insult. Like, I never was really sure which one that was, like, was that, I can see why you, big dumb ogre, would love this football movie, or or if it was like, I can see why why you see that you have a lot in common with this character, and how dedicated, and, 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 and how hard he worked, and that probably spoke deeply to you, I never knew which one it was, um, and I don't want to really know which one it was, I'll just, I'll just pretend, um, but anyway, my, my point in all of this is, is that uh, it is the worst feeling to recommend something to someone that you love only for them to come back with this kind of ho am Like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was good. It was a good night to watch that. And you're like, what do you mean? Like, meh. Like, it's got to be, like, there's got to be more. So, like, I've had enough of that feedback that now whenever I give recommendations on books or movies, like, I try to temper their expectations and probably my expectations for their Reaction by telling them all the reasons that they probably wouldn't like it. Uh, whenever I I recommend it, and so I'm like, well, it kinda, it's a little slow to start with, and and you know, there's there's a couple of things that, that happen here, and uh, you know, it, it's a little complicated in some spots. But if you hang in there, I promise that you'll 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 you'll, you'll get there. You know, the the the, the girl's a to- total phony. She betrays him in the end, but don't let that like change anything. The dog dies, but I promise it's worth it. Like. Like that's how I give recommendations now because I want to kind of, I want to hedge that a little bit to avoid that moment of like, oh, you didn't love it like, like I loved it. Well, that kind of makes me, makes me sad. I think Jesus is trying to help his disciples with this exact thing right here. I think what Jesus is trying to do in giving this parable ahead of sending them out and in response to what we've just seen with all of these miracles, I think Jesus is trying to to, to help this exact thing. He's telling them they don't need to change their message. They don't need to hedge their bets on how much they have they have thrown their lot in with Jesus. They don't need to hesitate for one second about sharing what they've seen and what they've heard. They don't need to do any of those things. I mean, think about it here here for just a second. They have been traveling with Jesus. They've seen him heal blind men. They've seen him heal lepers. They've seen him heal men who could not walk or talk to be worshipped by people that were far from God. They've seen all of those things. They've seen dead people come back to life only to find Jesus more hated each time that he does these things there had to be some kind of like, like like they had to fry their brains just a little bit. Like how can you see what we're seeing and your response is hatred instead of like full on worship? How can you walk with him? How can you hear him teach? How can you see him do these miracles time and time again and then you you walk away and at, at, at best... It it has no effect on you. At worst, it makes you hate him. It doesn't make any sense to them. It doesn't make any sense to them. They saw the movie that was happening right in front of them, and they were so moved by it that they walked away from everything they've ever known and everyone they've ever known they ran to people and they said, come and see what I saw. It will change everything for you. And then they came and then they saw and the disciples are like, see, I told you, this guy is the Messiah. This guy is amazing. And a huge chunk of people that they, that they talk to get, get one of these three responses. Cool, I'll, I'll keep listening. I, he's got my attention. I'll see what, what he has to say. Or... They're like, eh, whatever. I mean, yeah, I guess, whatever. But that's, I, I, I got to get back to work. Or the response was, this man is the devil, and we have to get rid of him. And the disciples are completely befuddled by this. They don't understand. They don't have categories for this. What do you mean he's from the devil? What do you mean you've got to get back to work? What do you mean you'll keep listening? This guy is amazing, and he demands everything from us. Why can't you see this? I don't understand. Like I am so drawn, there's nothing that could stop me from worshiping and worshiping him and following him. And you saw the same thing that I saw, and this is your reaction. You heard the same thing that I did to his teaching, and your response is, I got to go back to work when he just said, You've got to give up everything? For these men that had walked away from everything, from these women that were risking everything, to then have to stand there and watch people shrug their shoulders to what they've seen, to a dead man getting up and walking. It had to just blow their minds. They had to be so confused. I think this is why Luke gives us this little parable here. here, Because it follows so many miracles. Where people would watch what Jesus did and come out as enemies on the other side. It follows the dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house. Where Simon cannot see what the sinful woman can see. He's blind to it. They're struck by the ability of a prostitute to see what is happening when the Pharisee, the the teacher of the law, can't understand what is happening. As careful readers of Luke's gospel, we should be asking the same type of questions. How can they not see who he is? We have Luke's testimony of the eyewitnesses that were there. How can the others not see what these eyewitnesses are seeing? What is Luke not telling us that makes these people act like this and walk away? And the answer is, there's nothing he's not telling us. The answer is, their hearts are not ready to hear the word of God and receive the good news. And so Jesus wants, to, Jesus wants to, to kind of give his disciples categories to understand why someone could walk away from something that, that compelled them and drew them so much. In fact, the nature of the news of the Messiah being here and what he has done since he has has publicly launched his ministry is so stunning. It is so different that when the disciples go out and try to explain it to people that as they teach these lessons that they have received from Jesus themselves, they'll find that people actually understand less, not more. That as they try to relay these teachings, it doesn't sink into their heart, their minds aren't changed. Instead, it actually hardens them to what the message is. Because it is so radical. It's one of the the, the, the paradoxical natures of, nature of the, the parables that Jesus gives that for those that are seeking to learn, that have hearts receptive to truth, that are open to the kingdom of God and the teachings of Jesus, they will find that message and it will take root. But for those that aren't open and have hard hearts and closed ears, not only will they not hear, but the parables themselves will serve to completely shut their ears. And they will not be able to understand or process anything that they are learning, that they are hearing. So that's reason one why we have this parable. Luke is answering the preemptive question from the reader and from the assumed question from the disciples. Why don't they love him like I do? The second reason I think that Jesus gives this parable, again, ahead of sending them out, which we'll see here in just a cha- couple of chapters. The second reason that he, 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 he does this is to encourage the disciples as he prepares to send them out two by two, they're going to go and they're going to teach the message that they've heard from Jesus. They're going to go and they're going to do some of the same miracles that they've seen Jesus perform, they themselves are going to be able to do. But if they go with the expectation that people are going to respond the same, way, uh, the same way to that message that they responded to that message, they're going to be some very disappointed disciples. if they go sharing the movie and expecting that whenever somebody else sees the movie or, 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 or reads about the movie, that their lives are similarly changed every time that they go and say, you got to see this movie, they're going to be super disappointed every time somebody comes back. It's like, meh, it just wasn't for me. It just wasn't, it just wasn't my thing. They're going to be super disappointed by that because they're going to expect that, that, that people's hearts will be changed the same way that theirs was. He's telling them that many will not believe or honor the miracles and even fewer will stick around to hear and apply the teachings. And that they best, they best set their expectations accordingly. I love this expression of care from Jesus. He's seeking them out. They didn't ask this question. At least as we, there's no, there's no record in any of the, the Gospels that they ask this question. Instead, Jesus comes to them and he says, you need to know what it is that you are seeing and what is happening here. He seeks them out. He answers their questions that they haven't even thought to ask yet. He's helping them in in their ministry in ways that they didn't even know they were going to need help. I can tell you from personal experience, there is nothing that will burn out a preacher or ruin a ministry faster than being convinced that every person that walks away or doesn't get as excited about the message as you do is your fault. If you're convinced that the reason that somebody doesn't come back to church is because is because you didn't sell it well enough that is a weight and a burden that just is simply unbearable at some point. And Jesus makes it clear that the goal is to sow the seed, not to build the kingdom. Later on, he'll explain how the kingdom will kind of take care of itself. And it'll take care of itself because God is the one who, who builds the kingdom. But for us, our task is to sow the seed. And this is true for you too. This isn't just for preachers. This isn't just for, for those of us that, that stand up here and do this. this it's, it's for all disciples. That's all of us. Your task is to sow the seed in your home and outside of it. Sow the message of the kingdom of God, of the love and forgiveness of Jesus, and don't be surprised when people shrug it off and dismiss it as irrelevant to them. They did it to Jesus, and they'll do it to you too. But it doesn't mean you stop sowing the seed. It's the assumed action in the story. Do you see that? Like that's the consistent, no matter what else is going on, the assumed action is that the seed is sowed. Every other action is conditional upon the soil, the birds, the, the heat, the external factors. But the sowing of the seed is the one constant. And I'm preaching this to myself as much as I am to anyone. How often that, that, that we or I determine whether I will talk about Jesus based solely, based solely upon how well I think it will be received. How often do I do that? Far, far too often. We cannot think that way. The message of Jesus must be on our lips. Now, should we be strategic? Should we, should we measure out our speech in a way that allows us to be heard? Sure, sure. But the message should be nor, a, a normal part of our speech, of our day, of our life. It should just be a part of who we are. That when people hear you talking about Jesus, they're just like, oh yeah, there he is talking about Jesus again. That's just what he does. That should be what we are known for. So that's reason two, to, to prepare them for, for what they've seen in Jesus' ministry and then eventually in their own. He's seeking to prepare and to encourage them to know that ministry success is not dependent upon their own ability to save. Which is the final thing that I want to point out about this passage this morning. Jesus is trying to show them that they have a role to play in all of this drama that is the kingdom of God. But it is not a starring role. It is a supporting one. The task of the sower in the parable is simply to sow. That's it. Nothing else. Not one single thing else does the sower do. And this is where we have to be careful when we start talking about the parables. Anytime, you know, As the saying goes, every metaphor, every analogy falls apart at some point. We have to be careful not to press the analogy, to press the story any further than Jesus does. And we have to be able to take it in context with all the others as well, not to, to just kind of talk about it in isolation. But this is where we have to just be careful to stop where Jesus does. I'm, I'm pretty sure I can have John come up here and John could be like, well, you see what the problem was is, 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 is they threw the seed there in the pathway. And let me tell you how you fix that. I got a tractor out here that will fix that in a heartbeat, man. We can get that tractor going. We can till up the ground. We can get the seed better in there. We can make the soil better if we need to make the soil better. We can water it. I got a, we got an irrigation system. We can do all this stuff. We can do all these things to make the soil better we could we could talk about all of those things we can remove some stones we can break up the dirt we can do all the things to make sure the seed gets where it needs to go but that's not jesus's point here jesus will in other places talk about the way that we sow the seed the way that we talk about the gospel the way we talk about the kingdom he'll talk about all of those type of things but his point here is that the kingdom when it finds open willing hearts will take root We let God determine how to get those hearts to a place to receive the seed of the gospel. That is not our task. That is not our calling. He graciously allows us to be part of the process. To sow the seed. He'll handle the growing part. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about another preacher, Apollos. And there's this kind of like, like war over who's the, who's the better preacher, Paul or Apollos. And Paul says, what then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to teach. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his wages according to his labor. So why is all this important for us to consider and to think about this morning? It's because we are not the ones that get people into heaven. We are not the ones that save people. God is. The disciples did not need to feel the pressure and the panic of saving everyone that they talked to. That was never their job and the same goes for us listen if the entrance to heaven were based on anything and our ability to do or provide we'd all be in big trouble we talk about this all the time we talk about how salvation is not by works it is a it is a gift of god so that no man may boast but that 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 works in 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 other ways too So whether we're talking about personal good works or the careful strategy of someone that is sharing the gospel. Listen, people don't make it into heaven because somebody else was clever in how they shared the gospel. They make it into heaven because the word of God takes root and grows. As Jesus says, yields a hundredfold. Again, we'll talk about all kinds of different parables about the way to talk about the kingdom and how Jesus is clearly very strategic in the way that he goes about a lot of his ministry. But listen, there, there is nothing that, that can, can help us more than to understand this principle that we are not the ones that build the kingdom, God is. And that helps us because it frees us it frees us from the tyranny of believing that this is all on us to get it done. It's all on us to get it done for our children. It's all on us to get it done for our neighbors. It's all on us to get it done for the nations. It's all on us. And if we don't do it, then, then we are the ones that, have, that, have, that, that, that have, have, have caused the problem. It is on us in the sense that we have to get out and we have to sow the seed. And God has chosen in his sovereignty to use us to that capacity. But he's the one that gives the growth. And that frees us from so much. It frees us from so much performance. So much falsity. So much, like, kind of arrogance to believe that we are the ones that do this and so this parable here as it lays out it makes it very clear there are some that will never hear the gospel that will see the most amazing things that will see dead men get up and walk that will know that it's true and will walk away from that and not be changed and does that make any sense to me not at all but jesus says that will happen And we can get into all kinds of conversations, I probably shouldn't even bring this up, we can get into all kinds of conversations about about God's sovereignty and about man's free will and all this kind of stuff. What seems pretty clear here is that God is completely sovereign and man also can make a choice. I don't know how those two things work together. We can argue about it a lot, but we're not going to come to the end of that one either. But if you're in here and you're asking the question, well, I don't know which one I am. I'm I'm asking questions about Jesus, but which one am I? Well, I think what the Gospels will teach us is that if you respond to the Gospel, then you're the one that has an open heart to it. But there's not a fatalism of like, well, I'm just assigned one of these categories and I don't know if I'm the right one or not. If you want to be the one that has the good soil where the gospel takes root, then be that one. Do that. It is your free will that allows that to happen. And God sovereignly uses all of that. So that's the question that I have for you is is where are you in the story? Are are you the the free will? Are you the, the... are you the one who, or the free will, are you the one, Which are you the sower or which of the soils are you? Where do you see yourself in the story? If you are the one that has the, the, that has the open heart, my, my challenge to you would be come and respond. But make sure you're not the one that gets, gets the, the, the seed and, gets the, and has the, the sowing and then walks away because it's choked out. So which one are you? And for all of us as disciples, our task is to be the sower. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I pray for each of us that we would find ourselves in this story. Father, I pray that as we find ourselves in this story, if we find ourselves not as the ones who have had the open hearts and the good soil where the gospel has taken root, that you would change our hearts. Father, I pray for those who we share the gospel with, that they would have open and receptive hearts, that they would have ears to hear, as Jesus says. Help us to be faithful in that. Father, we thank you that you have not left this up to our effort because we would be in big trouble. But instead, it is you that does the saving, it is you that does the growing. Help us just to be faithful in playing our part. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.